Hi team, this is Robert. I host the podcast New Problems and this is hard. You know, I want to get this right. I want to say what's on my heart. But you never know if it's going to get it right and you never know what people are going to hear and you never know what people need to hear. So I guess I'll just start by saying that I am so grateful for you and I'm really grateful for just a few special people who have just been in my life this last week particularly that have listened with real care and compassion and provided real insight and perspective in my life, which is making this podcast possible. So thank you for just being there with me and for me and uh, just a chance to do what I really enjoy doing, which is sharing my thoughts and writing them down and speaking them into my little microphone. So wherever you are, please receive um, all my great wishes for you, for your families, and my gratitude for your support. So let's get started. This podcast is called New Problems. This is episode, let's just call it 12. And this is a spiritual gift of encouragement. At the end of the 2013 film on the life of American sportsman Jackie Robinson, 42, named for the Brooklyn Dodgers second baseman's uniform number, the movie concludes with the most sentimental of movie quotes. Pee Wee Reese, the Dodger shortstop, evidently as white as the name suggests, wraps his arms around the shoulder of his double play partner and shares his one wish for the future of sports in America. Maybe tomorrow, we'll all wear 42 so that no one can tell us apart. Whoever wrote this line in this screenplay probably ate this shit up because you cannot overstate the sentimentality of sports fans. To the standard grade A sports fan, the missing key to every conflict in American life is just a good game of baseball. Racism, poverty, education reform, the war on drugs, terrorism, global warming, you name it. All they need is one good pair of cleats, peanuts, Cracker Jacks, and a veteran organist playing Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Sports heal everything we say. Sports transcend the dysfunction of our society and reflect all the good that Americans are capable of. During the pandemic, when everything was shut down, we insisted that sports needed to reopen. It was imperative that sports reopened because the fate of our collective psyche was broken and all of our healing depended on meeting again at half court, man versus man, woman versus woman, and good, clean, athletic competition. We need people of all races, backgrounds, whoever you are and whatever you're playing, back together, giving us something to shout for. Well, as you know, Sports are back. And last week, sports have never been so unsentimental. 
when the Milwaukee Bucks refused to play in their first round matchup against the Orlando Magic in the NBA playoffs, there was no cinematic movie line we could steal from. The screenwriters got no inspiration. It was mostly just really confusing. Could the Milwaukee Bucks just stay in their locker room and not get out? As far as political and social activism and sports go, last week was so unsentimental, it is like no social movement that has ever happened in a sporting event in America. This was no Whitney Houston belting the national anthem at the Super Bowl in 1991. There is no Kate Smith singing her recording of God Bless America during the seventh inning stretch. This isn't the first game back after 9-11 and the Mets are wearing NYPD and FDNY hats and Mike Piazza is hitting a game-winning home run in the eighth inning and all of Shea Stadium is cheering. This isn't that moment when the veteran of the game gets their standing ovation during a TV timeout during a fourth inning of a St. Louis Cardinals game on a random August afternoon. This was so different. Because while the NBA has asked fans and the public to respond to the movement for black lives sentimentally, with Black Lives Matter emblazed on the court and players having selected phrases in various languages saying all these very sweet, wonderful platitudes. These are fun. And everyone can get to participate and everyone feels okay with it. But the attack on the body and family and community of Jacob Blake and Kenosha, Wisconsin demanded an unsentimental response. And for the Milwaukee Bucks, none of the NBA sentiments were sufficient. Because the Bucks did the thing where no one gets to participate. It was just them in the locker room and us watching confused. Are they really allowed just not to play? The Bucks boycotting the playoffs matters because it was activism that says no one gets to play along. There was no hashtag to join. There was no number to text. There was no celebrity endorsement in the 30-second ad of your favorite motor oil company. Because activism, where everyone has a clear way to participate, must mean that participation isn't costing anyone anything. And a political statement that costs us something matters because it affirms that there is a loss. There is a death. There is a grief that has taken place that we therefore must take part in. Last Wednesday, in the midst of all this, the ripples rippled throughout the sports world. And that's what took us to the New York Mets. And their first baseman, Dominic Smith, to the podium after a regular game on a regular August night. Dominic Smith is 25. He's black. He's from California. He's the slugger in the lineup and the spark plug in the dugout. 
he just has that sentiment we want from our baseball players. So much joy and so much friendship and so much enthusiasm. Even the Mets, the most all lives matter of fan bases, can see Dominic Smith and just embrace it wholeheartedly because he's a joy. He loves his teammates. He is the embodiment of every sentiment we wish a sports player could have. But that isn't the player the Mets got Wednesday night. Smith got to the microphone after being the only player who took a knee during the national anthem. He got to the podium and shared his thoughts. I guess just what was, you know, what has been the most difficult part about whether it's today or just even the past two months, what has been most difficult for you? Dominic Smith took 15 and then 20 and then 25 seconds to respond. Tears on his eyes. Where does one even begin? And yet he tried. Um, I mean, I think the most difficult part is to see, like, people still don't care. And for, for this, it just continuously happened. I mean, it just shows um, just the hate in people's heart. And, I mean... I mean, that, that just sucks, you know? And being a black man in America is, is not easy, so... I mean... Like I said, you know, I, I just... I wasn't there today, but I'll, I'll bounce back. I'll be fine. So I hate this. I hate that Dominic Smith had to be exposed and expose himself and expose his fears his isolation his grief to a city that really just wants him to shut up and dribble because altogether in a city of 8 million people with hundreds of thousands of baseball fans it was just him. And that's hard. And yet, this is my podcast. And of course, there's a Bible story that relates. So, one of the vital concepts in Christianity, this is not intuitive. Someone would have to tell you this, so I'm just going to tell you this. There's an idea called substitutionary atonement. It's not important what the word is. Like most Christianese, it's a little overblown. But fundamentally, it just means that one person does all the work for all of the people. Christians look to the Hebrew Bible for examples of substitutionary atonement because they would raise a Christian's awareness of the life and work of Jesus 
as Christ. One person doing all of the work for all of the people. Some examples of this would be the Israelites being freed by Moses from Pharaoh in Egypt, in Exodus. There's Queen Esther saving the displaced Jews in Persia. These examples of one person doing all of the work are fundamental to understanding that the work of atonement is rarely a collective action. It's a personal one. And the most famous example of substitutionary atonement in the Hebrew Bible is commonly referred to as the story of David and Goliath. You know the story. I am not going to repeat it. Because these characters are so ingrained in the fabric of every book you've ever read and every culture. You can watch any sports match and get who's the David and who's the Goliath. Everything you've heard about the story is totally fine. But there's just one piece I'm going to bring up. Goliath, in his proposal to the Israelite army, gives a pretty rational proposal. He says, why have you come out for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not just servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourself and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. And if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. And the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. And when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine, they were dismayed and greatly afraid. This announcement from Goliath was morning and night, week after week, cultivating and nurturing dismay and fear throughout the Israelite army. Because Goliath had set the entire atmosphere of this battle. Goliath had established the context and the terms in everyone's imagination of what the outcome would be. So when David arrives to bring food for his brothers in the army and hears this proclamation, he does not ask who the best fighter in Israel is. He does not ask what the plan is. His reaction is much more visceral. Because David says, Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David is bewildered both at the Philistine, but he is bewildered by the Israelites because he sees 40 days of fear being cultivated and the absolute fear 
on the part of the Israelites runs counter to how David sees himself and how he sees his brothers in battle. So while David and Goliath is surely a conversation about courage, it's actually about how David sees himself and how therefore he sees the enemy. Because in David's estimation, fear in this battle is embarrassing. Because of everything in their collective history was the idea of a God being in covenant with them to bless them in everything that they do, Goliath is not mocking the Israelites. Goliath is mocking that covenant. David is so conscious of the purpose of God on the earth, then he therefore would have to be conscious of the purposes of God through his chosen people, the Israelites. David's awareness, therefore, has one conclusion. It does not matter who answers Goliath's challenge, because Goliath cannot win. I am not a sentimental person, and I am not racially sentimental. I am perplexed and angry that a sports world is asking Dominic Smith for a message of comfort, for a message of reconciliation, that his tears are so foreign to our frequencies as sports fans. And so often I am in spaces where the frequency is plugged into comfort and reconciliation and not a consensus of reality and how violent and how prejudiced and how unequal reality is. I want to make this as simple as possible. For me, this is clear cut. I reject state-sanctioned violence against black and brown people. I reject state-sanctioned violence that protects its perpetrators. Any church, any organization that is incapable of sidelining the sentiment, any church or organization that substitutes a sentiment of racial reconciliation for a message against police brutality is one that my presence in that room or on a Zoom is co-signing. I do not co-sign racial reconciliation in this conversation, in this moment, because in the United States, police brutality is a uniquely American reality. American imperial intervention in the Middle East is our defining American foreign policy reality. Put together, Americans like myself, like every man, woman of God that I associate with, has to live, vote, and march fully conscious of these realities. I am not a sports fan 
just so I can watch kids' choirs of blacks and Asians and whites singing Peter, Paul, and Mary's If I Had a Hammer. I love that song. But the fitting response to the killing of George Floyd is not a kids' choir. My presence in rooms that are advocating for sentimentality will not work for me. I did not realize how much my black skin in these spaces would affirm an idea that there is a racial awareness of those in the room with me. And if a black person that did not know us personally walked in and saw me, they could fairly assume a level of trust and safety within that space because of my participation. And that's a bigger responsibility than I was ready to accept, but I have accepted, and therefore it makes me feel like I do not want to be the one person in the room because I have to ensure that people do not place their sense of trust and safety into spaces that cannot actively and intentionally speak and live and cultivate environments of racial reality and racial affirmation. A pastor on YouTube Church babbling why it's important to have a multicultural church means nothing to me because Christianity is not an intuitive religion. Regardless of your proximity to people with differences to you, the tenets of the faith that make Christianity distinct must be taught. And if your theology was written and described and defined by white men, you will promote a non-intuitive spirituality that is laced with white assumptions that over and over have violent implications. And so that brings me to today. Episode 12 of the podcast, New Problems, and I sit perplexed. I sit perplexed as to why the Milwaukee Bucks are the reason sports in America have an honest conversation. I'm perplexed by the loneliness Dominic Smith would feel on a Wednesday night. But more than anything, I am perplexed by the people of God that do not have an awareness of where they fit into this moment. And I feel like this podcast is just me looking at my denomination with the same incredulous spirit David had. This is what I'd say. John Mark Comer, Goliath cannot win. 
why are you on sabbatical during the riots in Portland? Lester, Goliath cannot win. Why is it odd to you that people pray and ask for prayer in faith? YouTube church, Goliath cannot win. No one is asking you to strap on an Apple watch and a Supreme hoodie. We're asking you to affirm your sense of authority and to act upon it in the most confusing year we've ever seen. The fear, the trepidation, the doubt, all these things make sense. But spirituality is not an anti-anxiety strategy. It's receiving the gift of faith and giving it back to God in the form of belief. And so of all the things that perplex me, faithless people perplex me. And I would say faithlessness is one of those things I have to learn how to forgive. Because I'll say this, in the heart of my heart, I'm convinced I give the gift of faith way more than I see it and way more than I get it. And that bothers me so much. But here's the truth about substitutionary atonement. And I learned this from a guest pastor on YouTube church. The miracle isn't so much that one man or one woman is doing the work for all the people. The miracle is that the people get to celebrate as if they helped when we know that they haven't. The miracle of substitutionary atonement is that once David flings his slingshot and cuts off the head of Goliath, the armies of Israel get to shout and they get to proceed and they get to march. So while we understand there's always gonna be pioneers and there's always gonna be that first person that takes the bullet, the invitation of substitutionary atonement is that we get to celebrate as if we had something to do with the outcome. And that is just as perplexing as anything I've ever said. Because Dominic Smith is the one at the microphone and the Milwaukee Bucks are the one who are stuck in the locker room and I'm the black guy on the Zoom call and yet there's a story that everyone involved gets to tell that they did not live out in their words and in their action. And that's tough because ultimately I want to feel like that the winner and the courageous, they're the ones who get the spotlight. And yet the joy and the celebration is shared. And so as I think about this podcast, I am so grateful for Dominic Smith for living this out for me. Because truthfully, I might not be happy and I might be giving the gift of faith that might not be coming back to me.
and I have the spiritual gift of encouragement. So I literally made a thing to deliver the one gift I know I received, which is the gift of faith. And it will go to you. And I hope that you celebrate as if it was always meant for you. Because this is perplexing. But that celebration is God's gracious will. Two days later, the Mets were back in action. And Dominic Smith hit a game-winning home run against the New York Yankees in Yankee Stadium. I mean, you just swear sports were scripted. They're the best. Like one cheeky bugger joked on Twitter, Dominic Smith just told the Yankees Black Lives Matter. And so it is. And that's the point. Being a sports fan is special because we get moments to celebrate the victories we had nothing to do with. Every home run I cheer is a home run I did not hit. Every three-pointer that I celebrate is a three-point shooter that as three-point shot that I did not shoot. I have never played golf in my life. But I spend Sunday nights and fist pump like I'm Tiger Woods on the 15th green of the Masters. The invitation to celebrate things that I have nothing to do with is an actual unfairness. But this is the invitation that I'm given, which means this is the gift that I now get to give. Last weekend, Major League Baseball designated it Jackie Robinson weekend for reasons I'm sure corporate can explain. But Pee Wee Reese got his wish. Every player was wearing 42. Everyone gets to wear 42 because Jackie was the first one. And here's the point. If faith is a gift that I can give back to God... It just means I have an obligation to say that Goliath cannot win. And maybe I have a faith I share and I resent people that receive and celebrate after. And I'm a part of a denomination that will be proud of having a black guy in the room. And that can be celebrated. And I can hate that. But ultimately, I have Sling Blue TV. I have ESPN Plus. I watch the Champions League on CBS All Access. I have Reddit threads bookmarked on my browser with links to every Major League Baseball game. My whole life is soundtracked by celebrating victories I have nothing to do with. And I like it. So if I may be unhappy, I think I'm ready to get over it. Because I'm like my hero Hannah, barren, bruised, and distressed. But we're not victims. We have the spiritual gift of faith. And so that is the gift we can give back in the form of belief, praying to understand what God's plan is and how we can nurture that plan so that others may celebrate as if they helped. But before I see any fruit of that prayer, 
before we get back to the microphone. We clean our face, we take a deep breath, we get back to the table and eat our dinner. Because you can never judge the quality of your own fastball. I have to shake off the dust from my spiritual cleats, receive the gift of faith, and throw it your way and get ready to join you in your celebration. <laughs>